It's good to be here with everybody. I love youth services. I love coming here and worshiping together with all my brothers and sisters. And when Andre asked me to preach on Sunday night, um, this, this thought came into my head and it, it, it hasn't left me ever since. Sunday night, all day yesterday, I just had one thought in my head. And this thought, I believe, you know, God put it on my heart for a reason. And uh, as we continue through this service, um, I pray that God would open up to you and uh, reveal to you His Word as we read it. Uh, so let's open up to 1 John chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, um, the message that got put on my heart is walk in the light, walking in the light. Um, a couple weeks back, I had a little get together with friends, and we were talking, we were saying, is, is light the absence of darkness? Or is darkness the absence of light? Now think about that for a second. And, and um, I was reading the Word today, and I came to this conclusion, biblically, that darkness is the absence of light. Reading through the Bible, we can see that our source of light, our source of, of light in this world, is, is God and is Jesus. And as we find written in John 8, 12, we find that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when I was reading this and pairing it with for, uh, this short passage in 1 John, I was asking myself, am I walking in darkness or am I walking in light? And um, over the past couple days, um, there has been a little bit of a little tension between, you know, youths and whatnot. Uh, I think we all know. Um, and and I really, I really got to thinking. I, I want to connect with my youth. I want to, I want my youth to know how to be the light. How do I be the light? in this world surrounded by darkness and how do I, how do I, um, how do I distance myself from the darkness and be this light and be this example for other people. And um, if we continue reading in 1st John uh, chapter 2, um, he, he writes um, in verses nine, let's do eight, no, nine, nine, verse nine. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother 
in a, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This passage is, is beautiful. In, in every sentence I read, it is just beautiful. Um, when we want to know how, how we can distinct ourselves from, from people that are walking in darkness, we have to look at, at who our, our um, source of light is. If God is our source of light, if Jesus is our light in our lives, we can be sure that you know, he lives in us and that makes us a light that we can show to others. So, in order to walk in the light, we must first come to know the light, which is Jesus. If we walk in darkness, we don't know the light. As it, as it says in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, um, if we say we walk in, uh, in, uh, in the light and we hate our brother, we lie to ourselves and the truth is not in us. And walking in the light allows us to walk in freedom from sin, allows us to walk in freedom from judgment, allows us to walk in freedom from gossip, allows us to walk in freedom from slandering, allows us to walk in freedom from, from uh, backbiting. Am I right? And um, Open up to Colossians, we just read this, chapter 3, and um, we can see some of the traits that, that a person who lives in the light has. So living in the light, as you, as you continue growing and living in the light, this is what we need to do. We need to put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But these you too once walked. In other words, we once also walked in darkness before we came to know the light. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, and seeing that you have put off the old self, put off the darkness, with its practices, and you have put on the new self, the light, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So who created, who created the light? God created the light. I think we all know this. And um, further on, we have a couple traits of a person that lives in the light. Um, compassionate, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, <clears throat> bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. This is a big, big, big truth in, in, this, in this scripture. And um, if there is among us people that still live in darkness and practice lying to themselves, saying, 
you know, I come to church on Sunday morning. I must be a Christian. I come to youth on Tuesday nights. I sit in, in the pews as everybody else. Nobody knows my, my, my deep, uh, hidden, secret sins. I must be living in the light, you know? But then if you go on the next day and you start talking about your brother behind his back, you're already living in darkness. And um, I just want us to understand, you know, the, the reality of, of what God is trying to teach us. You know, it took me a while to realize this. It took me a while to understand, you know, living in the light isn't as hard as it se- I mean, isn't as easy as it, it seems. You know, I could say, I could come up here and say, tell you guys, you know, hey, live in the light. You know, but this, this requires practice. This requires, you know, daily devotion to God and daily devotion to, you know, like, God give me the power, you know, even though I want to, you know, but I'm not going to because I want Jesus to live inside of me and I want his light to show through me and so others can see it. And um, in First Peter, um, there's a beautiful verse and it says, you are, he's talking about the people that are living in the light. You know, if we're living in the light, this is what Peter has to say about us. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Isn't that beautiful? That's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And uh, the more, the more I, I, <clears throat> I think about it, um, the more I want to live in the light, the more I want to love my brother, you know? None of us are without sin. We've all sinned. You know, we've, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in First John, you know, if we live in darkness, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So there is, there is grace for us, and um, where sin abounds, grace abounds, and um, things start, start, start changing when we, walk, when we walk in the light. Things start becoming, you know, there's this verse in the Bible that says, um, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father who's in heaven. That's us. If, if, if we go out into our, our daily lives and our co-workers can't see the difference between us and, you know, the other guy in the room or the crowd, if you can't see something in us, that will say, wow, this man is, has something inside of him that nobody else has. This man has a light. We can see it. We can feel it. We can, if standing next to him, you know, I can feel there's something here that, you know, all my other coworkers don't have, and that is the light. If we have the light, people will start seeing it and glorify the Father in heaven. And not only that, but when people see the, your light, they themselves will start changing. Once you reach a point in your life where everything seems hopeless, everything seems dark and dreary and you're just trying to make it from one day to the next. The one thing that you really want is, is to see a light in somebody. 
We can be that light, you know? There's people out there and let me tell you, people out there are in need of a light. They are in need. They need it. They don't want it. They need it. And um, uh, Christ teaches us to be a light and um, we have to continue, continue being a light. And I wanted to throw in one more I could find it. It's going to be found in um, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> Chapter 3. And it talks about godlessness in the last days. Um... Let's just go right into it. Um, so, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeased, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now you might be thinking, Andre, this isn't for me, but I'll tell you what, if my friend was here, oh, this was for him. What does God teach us? He teaches us, first we must remove the log that is our, in our own eye, that we may be able to remove the speck that is in our brother's eye. And, um, if we want to be a light to our brother, we must first get rid of the darkness that is in our own lives. And how do we do that? How do we get rid of the darkness that's in our lives to be a light to the people around us? We find that in Jesus. And First um, Timothy, it gives us the perfect, perfect solution. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We were talking about this last week, if you guys were here. Um, this year is a year of jubilee, they were saying. This year is a year of, you know, our sins are going to be forgiven. This year is a year of opening up and this year is a year of... You know, just getting, getting our lives back on track. And I really, I really believe that, you know. And if we want to be a light, we must first cast out all of the darkness that is in our own lives. We must confess our sins. You know, find yourself a pastor, somebody you can trust, preferably a pastor. Um, and he is faithful. If he sees the sincerity of your heart, he is faithful to forgive you of your, of your sins. And uh, he, he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, I want us to take this thought and to carry it out, you know, in our daily lives. I know it may be hard, maybe quite hard actually, to, to try to be a light and try to love our, our brothers and sisters the way that Christ taught us to love them. But we are, we are the light of the world. There is nobody else. 
we are we are Christ's possession, like like Peter taught us. We we are the ones. Who else is gonna go out there? Who else is gonna is gonna be a light to our coworkers? It's us, you know. We we are we are it. We are the church of God, you know. And we all know darkness can't can't be associated with light, you know. John tells us that. Um, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, you know, we get along with everybody. We don't talk about them behind their backs. We don't gossip. We don't uh, backbite. We don't slander. We have fellowship with one another. That's the big thing in walking in the light, fellowship with one another. And uh, I want us to pray about this and to ask God to just give us Give us a heart that seeks the light every single day. To give us wisdom, to give us love for our brothers and sisters, and to uh, help us walk in the light and to seek the light and be the light in this dark world. Amen? Okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Praise God. Um, I had a... I was supposed to say a different poem, but God put it on my heart to say something different. Um, I already shared this at a Sunday service in the evening, so if you didn't hear it, I believe God wants you to hear it, but there's kind of two parts to that, that poem, and when I was explaining it in Russian, there was one part, and I was so nervous I didn't even say the second part in English, so praise God I have another opportunity. But before I read it, I'd like to read from Colossians, and we already read from here, chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse 17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And when I was talking, when I was explaining this poem, it was basically, I was being a hypocrite because I went to so many different things. I participated in so many church things. And for me, I really wanted that appreciation, that good job, Dasha, that you're, good job that you keep coming. And I, I really just, I needed that. Like if somebody said thank you to me, that was enough. But another part of that is everyone may have a ministry that they're in today. You may go to one thing, you may be involved in a lot of things, but everybody knows that those things don't exactly always go smoothly. There can be drama even in church. So I just wanted to remind myself, I really needed to hear this, remind you guys that no matter what we do, we have to do it as if for the Lord. No matter what we're serving in, if we're stacking chairs, if we're doing something else, if we're saying a sermon, whatever it may be, that we may be faithful in that and that we may truly be doing this for the glory of God and for him to be praised. Woe to you lying and deceitful man. You put up such a stand to look good and worthy. Yet inside your cup is dirty. Your tomb is dark and full of death. Yet you put on a light and pretend to live this life as if everything is all right. I don't know who I'm trying to please anymore. Man or my creator. Man cast judgments so quickly. Yes, I know I may be bound to sin and untied from my savior, but they don't know that. And as long as they don't know, shall I put on a show? Wear robes of holiness while living in ungodliness? Shall I live for the public's eyes or live to be right in God's eyes? This cannot be right. 
but this has been my life. On paper, I may be excelling, yet inside I'm deteriorating. But as long as they see that my lines are in order, they don't have to know that I'm struggling to find peace, struggling for hope that truly I cannot cope and they cannot know. For if my pitch is right, if my words sound like my faith is airtight, they don't have to actually know that I can't keep going on my own. Before man, I may stand perfect, but my heart is wrecked. My soul is wretched, ugly, and defected. The thoughts in my mind should never be reflected. Why do they need to know that my smile hides pain if my life is going down the drain? And so I ask myself, how can I be saved when I let these demons reign? They run freely through my brain, taking control of my thoughts. And I have come to believe that my life is a lost cause. For I preach about the cross, but I have not crossed that my life is a lost, that I am at fault, I have fallen off course. I feel dizzy from this double life I'm living. My eyelids droop heavy from this wall I'm building. Yet they'll never know, and they can never see, for it would ruin me. I put up such a front. This is one big stunt. I can push hope down their throats as long as the piano plays the right notes. I am lying in the open while sin is drenched and I am soaking. What a sorrowful man. I can't seem to understand that hope is around the corner, that I don't have to pretend to live sober, that this could all be over if I made one step toward you. You would make another step closer. But I hover in the shadows, cower in my dirty stained clothes, a hypocrite, a Pharisee. Yes, these words are on me. Stop pretending that these fences don't need mending. I need cleansing, I need repentance, no matter what I convince them. Oh, truly, Lord, I need forgiveness. And so I admit to my pride, and I will not hide in my lies. I know I am a sorrowful man who began living for people's approval. Lord, I need a removal from the wickedness deep inside me. While I try to hide bitterness from prying eyes, it is only maximized. I try to make sin humanized. Let it be no longer. Rewrite my paper. Let me be in man's eyes a failure as long as I am right in the eyes of my Savior. You're the only opinion that matters. So I will not fake my sanctity, draw a perfect life of fantasy. Let me be the worst, the least, the most unworthy, a dirty thief that is the most worldly. But I have been shown mercy. I was brought out of depths. No matter how hard I will struggle, I know that he still calls me daughter. The length that he went so that I could escape hellfire and death, I will give him every breath. Laid before him is my good and my bad, the difficulties and my tribulation. It is before his eyes, it is before the world's eyes, and I cannot hide, no matter the wretched man I am, I am still redeemed by the Lamb, and I will give him all that I am. I need no high esteem. I will be the least of these. I need not to be called a teacher or a great leader. You are my perfect father and my only teacher, so I ask you, please, teach me, humble me. Lord God, you please lead me. Praise God. Слава Господу. Сегодня я хотел бы проповедовать на эту тему, как на то, что мы должны отдавать все наши заботы в руки Божьи. Я даже не знал, о чем я буду проповедовать. Мне буквально Андрей в воскресенье вечером напомнил, что надо готовить проповедь. 
я даже не знал и думал, что в понедельник, может, в понедельник или во вторник я э, помолюсь и я, я пойму, что мне нужно. И э, я так и не занялся этим. И решил я э, начать с того, что э, рассказать вам, что приключилось э, со мной до этого, потому что многое, что я пережил и на этой неделе, и что многое, что я пережил я на этих каникулах, многое это повлияло на то, что я хотел бы проповедовать сегодня. И начну я вам с того, что прочту 1 Петра, 5 глава, 7 стих. Итак, «Все заботы ваши возложите на Него, ибо Он печется о вас». Очень простой стих, вроде бы, «Все заботы возложите на Него, ибо Он печется о вас». Но смысла он имеет не менее, чем многие другие стихи, чем многие другие главы. И порой просто тяжело понять, что значит заботы наши возложить на Бога. Порой нам тяжело это даже сделать. И я даже объясню, почему. Как-то на той неделе... Я всю неделю нужно было помочь папе упаковать посылки, чтобы отправить их в Россию. И я на протяжении всей недели искал все вещи, которые нужно было упаковать. Я искал баксы для посылок, нужно было две посылки, упаковочный материал. Нужно было некоторые бумажки, там тоже несколько головников с всякими бумажками, цифры записывать, вещи, количество и так далее. И у меня вся голова была забита, учеба, то есть у меня уже был в голове составлен план. Саш, тебе нужно, ты учишься, тебе нужно сделать уроки. Также я знаю, что по дому часто нужна приборка. После школы я часто хожу, не каждый день, но бывает, что нужно и работаю, иногда нет. Также после учебы иногда бывает, когда молодежная, когда хор. И у меня уже голова была забита всеми планами, которые я должен сделать. Я не давал, просто не давал ходу Духа Святого тем, что я не хотел, я не хотел дать, что, услышать, что Бог хотел от меня. У меня уже были планы, что я буду делать. И я просто в попыхах делал одно, делал другое, делал третье. И я думал, что я все могу это сделать сам. И в итоге, да, я, упаковал, я все, что нужно было, упаковал, в пятницу отправил посылку. Но вечером я пришел домой, и я себя чувствовал не очень хорошо. Я был настолько уставший, наверное, не столько физически, сколько морально, потому что я понимал, что все вещи я пытался сделать сам, и не знал, что да как. И как-то прилег и стал размышлять. И понимать стал, что моих-то сил у меня не особо было много, я хотел сделать много, и все сразу. Бог мне стал открывать, что, Саш, зачем ты переживаешь о стольких многих вещах, если можно сделать со мной все и все и постепенно. То есть у меня в голове уже был план, не чтобы заняться одним делом, у меня уже в голове был, я должен через час, я уже должен другое, значит, то подождет, третье, четвертое, пятое, десятое. И так у меня проходил, проходила вся неделя. Я себя чувствовал просто настолько загруженным, хотя особо многого не надо было делать. Просто все проблемы в моих мыслях на самом, деле, на самом деле. И что я хотел прочитать, что хотел сказать 
дальше. Так, это я вспомнил, что, что же было у меня этим летом. Я все это лето провел здесь. И, наверное, каждый день я проводил лето на работе с дядей Долей. Мы с ним ездили с 7, когда с 7, когда с 8 утра у него шап. Он ремонтирует машины. И одно время мы с ним работали до 6, 6 7, 8 часов. Мне это устраивало, мне это было нормально. Иногда приходилось после этого как-то... Были времена, мы задерживались с ним до 7, до 8 часов вечера. Меня это иногда напрягало. Мне тяжело было, потому что я говорил, но у меня свои планы, у меня тоже есть... Там, туда нужно сходить, туда сходить, то надо сделать, третье. И потом было время, когда мы задерживались даже до 12 э, или часу ночи, когда он говорил, ой, надо еще одну машину доделать или третью, и клиенты одни другие, и приходилось так все это время проводить на работе. А э, я внутри себя часто чувствовал просто возмущение. И я часто говорил, э, ну давайте, мне же нужно сегодня к шести там, в церковь, или мне нужно хор, или э, в школе у меня дела там, то нужно мне к шести или к семи. И он как, бы, он как бы понимал, да, да, но в итоге он все равно не получалось. А что, что во мне случалось, так это возмущение, так это просто потеря всякого мира, потому что я хотел сделать одно, у меня это не получается. И вот как раз э, в понедельник вот этот э, был праздник, я тоже работал, и сказал, что мне нужно будет до шести, потому что э, подготовиться к урокам и при, приготовить... Э, Слово. И работаем до шести, все нормально. Э, уже шесть, я говорю, дядя Толя, давайте будем собираться. Он говорит, да-да-да, сейчас я э, сделаю, давай еще сейчас доделаем с тобой последнюю машину. Я говорю, ну ладно. Э, и тут я за собой заметил, что что-то Бог э, дал моему сердцу, какой-то мир, покой, что мне не хотелось, э, мне не хотелось внутри возмущаться. Я просто понял одно. Я не могу другого ничего сделать. То есть тем, что я буду возмущаться, тем, что я буду э, говорить, я все равно не сделаю ни себе, ни себе лучше, и обстановка от этого не изменится. Э, в Библии написано, что стучите и отворят, и просящему будет дано. И я, где нужно, я и стучал, где нужно, я и просил. Но я понял, что ломиться не надо. Когда мы ловимся, мы делаем все это сами. Мы не пускаем Бога вперед. Мы пытаемся сделать все своими силами. Мы думаем, что если мы будем как-то свой тон повысим или как-то будем пытаться влиять, думаем, что изменится от этой обстановка. Но на самом деле есть в жизни то, что мы не можем изменить, где нам нужно смириться, где нам нужно просто возложить все в руки Божьи и понять, что что он все это контролирует. И вот мы задержались до 8 часов. И в 8 часов начали э, собираться. Пока собрались одно, второе, третье. Часов 8-30 э, только выехали. Заехали к его сыну. И после всего только потом э, я приехал к 9 часов, э, к 9 часов домой. Э, хотел к 6. 
и как-то размышлял, потому что знал, что да, завтра мне нужно будет проповедовать, завтра нужно что-то приготовить. И просто размышляю, что, что Бог хотел мне сказать вот во всей этой суете, которую я переживал на протяжении всей недели. И вот как, как точка, последний этот поинт, нужно было пройти понедельник. И Бог сказал, что Саш, просто умей доверять мне. Есть моменты, которые ты не можешь изменить. Есть моменты, которые тебе нужно смиряться. Есть моменты, которые не нужно пытаться ломиться. И тогда я просто отдал это все в руки Божии и перестал переживать. И понедельник для меня был очень легким, очень хорошим днем. Бог, давал, Бог дал мир и Бог дал мне слово в тот день. И я очень рад этому слову. Также я хотел сказать о том, что как-то еще до лета, это было весной, я разговаривал со своей бабушкой по телефону, бабушка с России, и как-то говорил, что да, у меня часто бывает тяжело, часто какие-то всякие мысли приходят, переживания, но бабушка после этого, после этого разговора, как-то через некоторое время, через пару дней, звонила мне и говорит, Саша, мне было во сне видение. И я видела тебя, Саша, стоящего на замерзшем пруду, и где прорубь. Ты сидишь на корточках возле проруби с большим рюкзаком. Рюкзак у тебя повернут к прорубю. И пара, пара или несколько человек стоят недалеко от тебя. И вот ты начинаешь падать этот, в этот прорубь, потому что тебе твой рюкзак тянет туда. Я упал и стал, стал тонуть, захлебываться в воде. Тогда подбежали два человека этих и стали вытаскивать. Но вытащив меня, они обнаружили, что моего рюкзака нет. Тот груз, который был на мне, он упал под воду. И я долго не понимал, что это могло значить, это видение, которое бабушка видела. И размышлял. И вот началась учеба. И я как-то э, хожу, э, с рюкзаком часто хожу, и рюкзак полон разных вещей. И как-то один раз я так задумался, может мне проверить, что у меня в моем рюкзаке. Я э, смотрю рюкзак, достаю учебник, достаю тетрадку, достаю байндер с песенниками, э, достаю э, ноты, я достаю оттуда блокнот, э, достаю оттуда пенал, фломастеры, еду, снеки всякие. Я достаю все подряд. И я под, после этого понимаю, что Бог мне дал прообраз того, что творится чаще всего в моей голове. В том, что я много э, суечусь, много делаю, что не нужно, пытаюсь сделать все и сразу. Я не даю место Богу, не даю место Духа Святой, работе Его, чтобы Он вел, чтобы Он направлял. Я пытался решить все сам и в один момент. И Бог э, дал понимание, что «Саш, обращайся ко мне, и Саш, доверяй мне». И как заключение я хотел бы прочитать э, главу, э, хотел бы прочитать несколько стихов из Матфея, 11 глава, с 28 стиха. «Придите ко мне, все труждающиеся и обремененные, и я успокою вас». Возьмите иго мое на себя и научитесь от меня, ибо я кроток и смирен сердцем, 
и найдете покой душам вашим, ибо иго мое благо, и бремя мое легко». Этот стих говорит, что мы в своей суете, мы как люди должны свое, свое иго, свое бремя отложить и взять Божье бремя и обратиться к Богу, потому что Бог – помощь во всяких трудностях, и Божье иго, оно не человеческое иго, оно не то, которое будет тебя постоянно грузить, постоянно тебе мешать в твоей жизни, но оно даст облегчение, и оно даст понять, что Иисус тебе помогает, оно даст понять, что Иисус всегда с тобой рядом. Аминь. Давайте помолимся. Praise God. Good evening. Слава Богу. How are we doing? Are we alive? Good. Слава Богу. Thank you, brothers, for the opportunity for me to speak tonight. It is a pleasure, and it's good to be here. Really, I haven't been here, and I'm guilty, um, so no excuses. But I'd like to talk about something. When the brothers gave me that opportunity, I started thinking, like, really, what is the dearest thing to me? Like, to my mind and to my heart. And I, I started thinking about it, and um, things started piling up, ideas, thoughts. And the biggest, uh, I guess, out of all of them was very much highlighted, and it was fear. And I started digging more thorough, and I started digging in in my life and remembering different experiences and fears and when I was nervous and so on. And I thought a little bit more, and you know what? I thought there isn't a single human being, it don't matter what your position is, it doesn't matter if you're the president or it completely disregards who you are. There's some kind of fear within you. One man's fear is another man's uh, complete relaxation. He'll have fun at it. Put the same person in a roller coaster and you'll see the reactions real quick. Um, speaking of roller coasters, um, recently, this past holiday season with Christmas and New Year's, um, I had an opportunity with family to go to Wild Waves and see these amazing lights they have there. And I bought the tickets, I didn't even know what I bought. But apparently when you buy the tickets to Wild Waves, uh, all the rides are, are exclusive or inclusive. They're included in a ticket and you can ride uh, all you want besides a couple of them that didn't work at all. And so I didn't know that. So I come there and I'm thinking, well, I have to go to some ride because I paid the money, although I didn't know that I paid for it. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to go by myself because my in-laws, they have the, uh, uh, their couples as well. And uh, my wife, she's really afraid of heights and motions and everything. So we get close to one roller coaster. If you have heard about it, it's called the Ring of Fire. It's where it goes around. And we're walking up to it. As we're walking up to it, I know that I need to really convince my wife that this is an easy ride. And as we're walking up and this thing is going like this, I'm feeling the wind. It's almost knocking me out of my feet. And I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be hard. And I start talking her into it. And I, I give her, you know, all kinds of reasons. I say, you know what? When you, when you look at a ride, it actually looks a little bit more dangerous, more, it's just crazy when, you, when, when you're like looking at it from, you know what I'm saying, right? From the side. But when you're in it, it's nothing. It's no big deal. 
And I'm say, saying this, and, and as we're walking up, I'm becoming a little bit more nervous. But I, I got to talk her into it. And I'm, you know, I'm showing my manliness, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it more, and I'm trying hard. And we stood in the line. Nobody was there. And then there was a crowd behind us. She wanted to bail out. And I said, no, if you bail out, look at the line behind us. We'll have to stand again. And it's crazy and so on. In other words, we get on, into this roller coaster. We get on it. Door shuts. The thing clicks in. I turn around and I say, honey, I'm like in panic attack right now. <laughs> I'm all shaking. I don't know what to do. She's like, you're kidding me, right? I'm like, no. Can we hold hands? And we held hands. And uh, she said, she was, uh, she was not happy. That was a ride where um, no more rides for us that night. But, but I, we really got to feel what fear is. And... I really thought maybe by pushing another person into it and me following, maybe there's like a lesser level of experiencing the fear. Well, tonight I'm going to talk about fear. And there's really two kinds of fears in the scriptures that we find. There's a fear of the Lord, and then there is a fear that the enemy absolutely loves to use in order to destroy someone, in order to... Uh, completely put him down to a level of destruction. And I was going through the scriptures, through, through the New and Old Testaments. I needed a perfect character out of the Bible who uh, could describe, could show us what's really going on around him, in the circumstances, and in his own heart. And we all know this story, the story about David. We know his life. We know from beginning to end there's many details. Uh, that we can read about. But there is this classical, almost cliche moment that we know, and it is when he is facing, facing uh, Goliath. And I'd like to begin with reading. Um, I'd like to ask two questions first before uh, we begin reading. Two questions that I'd, I'd like to ask right now and at the end of the sermon. And I'd like us to really think about these two questions. So the first question is, what impact or influence does fear have on me? And the second question is, how can I deal with fear? I believe we, we, we can find these uh, two answers for these questions when we're going to read and look into David's life and a, a, f a couple of key moments that I would like us to pay attention to and take for ourselves. So this is 1 Samuels. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to 1 Samuels. Um, this is chapter 17, verses... We'll read um, all the way down to 50, but we'll select and I'll, I'll, I'll explain where we're going to be jumping. And as we're reading, um, let's pay attention to the qualities of David's characters. His, his character, his obedience, uh, how polite, how patient and honest, uh, open he is with the circumstances around him. I know oftentimes we hear this story and we just run through it because we've heard it one too many times during Sunday school. But let's try to pay attention to detail and see what we can find for ourselves here. So let's go down to verse, we'll be reading eight, uh, eight uh, through 40. It begins with a dialogue that uh, Goliath has when he speaks to God's people or to, to the Israelite army. So this is verse 8. 
he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pay attention to detail, especially right here. When we see the scriptures giving us a stage so that we may look on. We see in this uh, description that there's just about a battle about to happen. There's two armies, the Philistines and the Israelites. And there amongst them is a champion. He's a guy who feels very confident, uh, bulky, you know, he, he thinks he's got it all. And, and he comes out there and he challenges God's people. We'll continue to read. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and Jesse was old, old in, the day of, in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone, had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abid, Abidnab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand. And look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them for Saul for Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Eli fighting with the Philistines so David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry Israel and the Philistines drew up in a battle array army against army then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the, of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. The people answered him in accord with this word. 
saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. We see a scenario unfolding here where David is coming in just simply being obedient. He's doing nothing more, nothing less. His father has told him, here, take some things, it's food, take some for your brothers, and here's uh, 10 slices of cheese for the commander. Take all of this, bring it to them. And as he's doing this, the spectacle happens. Just another, uh, again, 40 days, this man, Goliath, has been coming out and, and doing this, and he's been making fun of, he's been uh, ridiculing uh, the army, he's been ridiculing their belief, their faith in God, and he's been ridiculing God himself. And that brought David to an attention. And as he was simply being obedient, he was doing what his father told him. He went and he was giving, giving these things to his brothers. He heard what was going on. At the same time, the army, you could imagine how many men were there. You could imagine uh, the men that were there. It's just not, not just the quantity, it's the men that were there. People of battle, people who knew how to kill, they saw blood many times in their lives throughout the battles that they've had. And perhaps there was someone old enough to call David his son, age-wise. And here, David comes and he sees everybody's in fear and, and it's like they're experiencing something. For him, it's, it's watching his own countrymen, as we could imagine, looking around him and he's looking and he sees countrymen trembling. And it would seem like, aren't you an experienced warrior or warriors? Don't you see this uh, every once in a while whenever you go to battle? Why are you so afraid? I don't know what David's thought process, but I think it, it might have been something similar to that. And then it says later on, we continue to read to verse uh, 40, when the words of which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. And he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail in account of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. It's maybe a little bit funny or laughable. You know, it's like a resume. You're trying to say good things about yourself. And he says, your servant has been taking care of his father's sheep. You know, it's, it's not, not a specialty. It's not a job that you could be proud of. It's nothing so extraordinary. And David says, I was taking care of my father's flock and sheep. And look what he says going on. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his garments and put a bronze helmet on him. And he clothed uh, him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. Sometimes we have circumstances, and I'm, I'm thinking, we come to the conclusion in our mind that we need to be especially, you know, we, we should have some special clothing, we should have some special tools, we, we need to be especially uh, equipped to somehow deal with the circumstances. And it may seem logical at first that you want the best weaponry, you want the best this, the best that. After all, you're going against someone who is significantly bigger than you, significantly more capable than you. You want the best of whatever you can attain, whatever you can get your hands on, and with that you, you want to go to battle with. But David takes it off, and he, he takes what he had with him, which is, he normally had it with him anyways. It is a sling, and he, even on a way, to the Philistine, like it says, he went and he got the stones. And I could imagine this scene as he's walking out from talking with Saul. Everybody's paying attention. They're looking at Saul's tent. It's the king. And they're looking at that tent. And they're watching David come out. He's, he's not especially dressed. He's simple. He's literally a boy. And he's coming out of the tent. They're all looking at him. And they're watching him, and I could imagine them watch him as he's walking and he's picking up a couple of these smooth stones, picking out. And they're probably thinking, what is he doing? Is this a prank or a joke? What is happening here? And David continues to do what he has the faith for. His faith in God and his trust. And all of these men around him, no matter the fact that they have fear and his brother... Uh, if we noticed earlier the way his brother talks to him. He says, don't you have sheep to take care of? Get out of here. Like he treats him like a little brother that he is. If you're little uh, or younger or youngest in the family, then you know uh, sometimes those who are older than you that tend to basically, if they want a quick result, chop, chop, you know, they're going to they're gonna get you moving. Either by language or, you know, physically. Get moving, you know, do something. And, and... It seems like, okay, this, this David, he's this little boy. It says that um, in, in, the, in the Russian Bible, it says Otrak, which is basically like a teenager. But if you take it historically, you look back what that word definition and for that time is, they consider the teenager, Ili Otrak, somewhere to be between uh, 15 and 25 years of age. So pretty much David could have been 22. I mean, that's a man. And he wasn't that little boy that's portrayed in our Sunday school little 
you know, those cute little books for kids and so on. He could have been a pretty, pretty buff guy. I mean, let's assume he took care of a lion or a bear, right? He's not like literally a child. His father wouldn't probably even send him if he was. And here we see him and he's going boldly, unapologetic, his faith in God. Everybody around him is still trembling. Some guy somewhere, he's in the bushes taking care of just out of his nervousness. He can't, he can't face reality. And David is just doing what he has the faith for. He's acting out his faith. Actions speak, they come out as a result of what faith you have. And David is certainly showing it right here. And as he's walking to the Philistine, I could assume the Philistine after 40 days, more than 40 days now, uh, coming out and with no result, nobody to fight, uh, he's at least excited mildly. And he's coming out and he sees this boy uh, by in comparison of what he maybe sees on the other side, some of the men. And he sees, and he doesn't even have a sword, he doesn't have any weaponry, some, some specialty, maybe arrows or a javelin or some, anything. And that's why he laughs at him. He says, am I a dog? Did you come at me with this staff? And let's go ahead and take a, take a look at his approach, David's approach towards Goliath and his, his faith, his uh, standing on ground and knowing that God is with him and that he's able to conquer the situation because his trust is in God. So this is verse 41. I know I'm taking you pretty much through the whole chapter. Be a little bit patient. I'm almost done. Um, so this is a verse 41. We'll read uh, through 47. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield barrier in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you came to me with the sticks? And the Philistine Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from, your, from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of, of Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Let's say amen. Oftentimes, when we have fear, we have our own approach to fear. Quickly, we, we calculate what is the best solution in our situation. Sometimes it's at work, sometimes it's at uh, college, uh, education. Um, there's different circumstances. And what David does is he comes to God and he says, you're going to deliver me. If you take a look at the whole Psalms about David, he continues. I mean, this, 
Uh, this guy, he just continues to do that. He, he, he can't forget about God. He, he continues to go to God. He says, you are my rescue. You can rescue. You can do amazing things through me. You can put my enemies down. You can kill my enemies. He addresses God constantly. And it seems like, well, there are other people who have shown prideness in their life after a certain uh, row of successes. They became, become self, self-absorbed and prideful and, and think that they are the one who have succeeded things. But David, even when he make, makes a mistake in his life, he continues to go to, to, to God and literally cries like a baby and asks for repentance. I wanted to take our thought on this right here and think about, about this in our life. When fear comes in through different circumstances, Coming back to the two questions I've asked uh, shortly earlier, um, the first one, what impact or influence does fear have on me? Second one, how can I deal with fear? We saw how David was dealing with fear. We saw the influence of fear. It had no influence because his trust was on God. Then we look at the army, their reaction and, and what's going on with them. And we look at Saul and Saul is, having this experience of, of this just um, this uh, panic attack and uh, what's going on. He's thinking as a king, what, what is my solution? Where are my champions? They're nowhere to be found. They're, they're scared out there in the corner somewhere because their hope and their trust is not on God. And I'd like to flip quickly over to Matthew um, 6, chapter 6. Verse 25 through 34. It's, it's something that I've read many times. But it comes very good. And I highlight it for myself. It comes very good to read it in the times, especially when I need it. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being word, can add a single hour to your life? to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you of of you of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will, what will we eat, or what, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Can we say amen? Let's pray.